hello, hello, hello. It's November 11th, 2019. You're listening to episode 68 of Numbers on the Boards, presented by Bedgear. We're coming to you kind of live, sort of in the past, recently in the past, from Boston, Massachusetts, on the 10th floor of an undisclosed location. Joining me today is a very special guest. TV play-by-play voice of the Dallas Mavericks, the great, and I mean great, great Mark Followell. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Good. I'm enjoying our undisclosed location because sometimes at this particular undisclosed location, you have a room that doesn't really have a view of anything, but we do actually have a view today. That's nice. It is nice. Yeah. This is a, We're looking dude, out over Boston. I love Boston great so city. much. It is. This is only city. my third time here. I've only ever been with the team. I've never been able to come like and spend a week here or whatever. But yeah, every time we here. come here, it's been a day or two. And I just lo- I love going to the Commons. I love walking around the city. Last year, Katia and Chopper and I went to Harvard. Yeah, uh, just, we've done was, that. Yeah, yeah it was, it's just so cool. It's so cool to walk around. It's It might be... It's kind of a hot take, man. We're a minute into this thing. It might be yeah. my favorite city in the country. It's not my favorite city, but I do like it a lot. And noted Mavs TV producer Dave Keeney, who is at Mavs Stats on Twitter, along with Coop great and follow. I, we have gone to great follow indeed. We've gone to Harvard before. We've gone over there to watch basketball a couple of times at Harvard. Oh, yeah. One year they played Yale when we were in town on an off night before a game the next night. And so that was great to go see a Harvard-Yale game, even though it wasn't football, it was basketball, but it was still really cool. And then we caught UMass play at Harvard uh, a few years ago as well. And keep in mind, you know, Harvard, I mean, they they only made the NIT last year, but we went kind of at the time of their run of going to the tournament frequently. and Tommy Amaker winning, running that thing, right? Yeah, winning in the tournament uh, a couple of times. So uh, we got to see some good games, and it was really neat to, to go over there and hang out, take the tee over there and hang out at Harvard. Um so I've never been to the Beacon Hill neighborhood. I've been to where the Bunker Hill National Monument is, and actually it's a great run to go on from here to the hotel, follow the Freedom Trail past the Old North Church where Paul Revere started his ride, and then you go over to the to the Bunker Hill National Monument. You go over the Charles River, and it's in the Charlestown section of Boston, and it's a really neat neighborhood, and it's cool to see that Bunker Hill Monument because that's a that's such a you know important part of American history. Uh, but we went to Beacon Hill last night and uh, went to a pizza place called Figs, mm-hmm. which was very good. Did you know that the Fig Newton is named after the neighborhood in Boston called Newton? I did not know that. Wow. I didn't know that until last night. I and learned it. I learned it at the, the, maybe it's named after the pizza place, too. Maybe. Yeah, Figs. Maybe, it's maybe, that, named after. maybe that place has been here a lot longer than we realized. Dude, you never know, man. <laughs> uh, Boston is great. I will say the city planner, I, I, I got to have some words with that person because... Uh, it's laid out very strangely it is man none of the streets go north and south they all turn they all go every direction yeah grid grids are not a thing here yeah in terms of street uh, layout yeah it's (laughs) a a grid layout is not the case as is the case with everything in life nothing (laughs) is perfect but uh the reason we're in boston is because of course the mavs play the celtics tonight that is monday night believe uh 7 p.m local tip or so that would be 7 30 local 7 30 local tip so 6 30 uh, yep. Dallas time. That game is going to be on Fox Sports Southwest, of course. Also, if you're in out of town, or I think it's on NBA TV, it got picked up. Yeah, that means our feed is only going to be available, I think, to people watching on Fox Sports Southwest in the Dallas Maverick footprint. Yes. Yeah, because that means that uh, our game won't be on Le- our feed won't be on League Pass. It'll only be uh, Boston's feed on NBA TV if you're an out of towner. Mm-hmm. But um, 
At Boston, by the way, interesting nugget. The only one lost team remaining in the NBA. That's true. Lakers yeah. lost last night, I believe, yeah. at home, right, to yes, the Raptors? to, to uh, Toronto last night. Yeah, Siakam had a good game. Yeah, dude, Boston is so good. Last three years at home, they've lost 38 games combined. Wow. Three Three-plus seasons, including this year. They've only played three games. Of course, the Mavs are undefeated on the road. They are. How about that? Yeah. Uh, so I think I, that's a big early season story, by the way. It is, man. Because I mean, they won nine road games last year. And you're what one and three at home, or two and three two at and home? Three. Yeah, two, two and three, three at home. home. I mean, that's not that's not great. So no. luckily, four and zero oh is uh, kind of buoying this thing right now. Well, at the beginning of the year, one of the things that we, uh, as a collective TV crew, did a little research on, just based on a hunch that I had looking at the schedule, was that the Mavs had to have one of the easiest schedules in the league to start out. I do the first 10 games of the year, and this is only, of course, basing it on last year's opponent winning percentage, which is not the best thing, but it's kind of all you got. You know, when you start out, you can't base it on what we project the teams to be, at least if you're going to have a strength of schedule measurement anyway. And the Mavs have the second easiest schedule in the NBA through the first 10 games. Um, I thought, best case, they could go 7-3, and three, which if they win tonight, they would do that. 6-4. and four, uh, you know, wouldn't be bad if that ends up being the case because this is obviously a really tough game tonight. But uh, it will be interesting to see how Boston copes with Gordon Hayward being out of the lineup now and for an undetermined amount of time with a fractured left hand. And they're, uh, you know, it's that team in the first home game after our road trip. Uh, they've been on the road this week playing um, at Cleveland, at Charlotte, and at San Antonio on a, a Tuesday, weird, Thursday, Saturday trip. It's a yeah. weird road trip. It is, uh, it is a little bit peculiar. So you got him after a long travel back from San Antonio. So we'll see uh, We'll see how it goes in that regard tonight. Boston obviously has the famous floor. They got the fans. It's always packed in there. Yeah. So much history in that building. It's The team is always good, too. Uh, if you are an NBA fan with, like, a bucket list, right, you've got to make it to the Garden. Yeah. That's got to be, like, the top. That's the number one. Like, MSG is the mecca. Staples Center has a lot of real cool stuff, you know, celebrities and everything. But Boston, to me, is like the, the primo, kind of cream of the crop. It is uh, so funny that you mentioned the floor. And I'm sure I'm probably going to talk about something that you're not going to be aware of, uh, being the younger guy that you are. Uh, are you familiar not with for the long. great— Are you familiar with the, the, one of the greatest episodes of Cheers? Where I can't say that I am. Yeah, <laughs> where <laughs> somehow the guys at the bar— uh, see Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale comes into the bar, and uh, they start asking him about how many bolts are in the parquet floor at the old Boston Garden. Mm. And of course, you know the parquet floor from from there came over to TD Garden. But um, they ask him about that, and he gets like he they they're watching the next game, and he's so distracted by looking down trying to figure out how many bolts are in the floor <laughs> that he goes into a terrible slump, and it's all because of the guys at Cheers. So it's really. Oh, yes, that's it's funny. uh it's really good. That's funny. I I have not been inside the Cheers bar, but we did make a point to go by there yeah. last year whenever we were here. We were not far from it last night as a matter of fact. We went to the uh to the yeah, to the Beacon Hill neighborhood where we went to that pizza place last night. Well, then night, I've probably so. been to Beacon Hill then. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool little, cool little area. Yeah. But every every north the north end and uh you know, just to to back up what you said, yeah, uh a sports trip to Boston. If you're a, an MFFL and and wanted to come up and see the Mavs play up here, a sports trip to Boston. Um, Boston Bruins hockey games are great. Coop and I went last year when Calgary was here in town. Um, I've never been to a Red Sox game at Fenway, but obviously that's on the bucket list. If you're a basketball person and you came up here, I mean, if you came up here to Boston to go see the Mavs and Celtics, then of course you have to make a trip to Springfield to the Hall of Fame, to Absolutely. the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, which I've never done that and keep wanting to 
to carve out like a week in the summer to make a New England vacation. You know, mm. it'd be a nice, nice summertime vacation, and and that would be one of the things. But uh, you know, don't want to get too far off the basketball trail. But this is a great city, and and highly, highly recommend it. Absolutely, absolutely. If you're going to get off the basketball trail, get on the Freedom Trail at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take it all the way to Bunker <laughs> Hill. Don't climb the steps because there's a lot of them. Uh, 270 steps or something like that. I have done that. Got to put it's, like a. It's good. Like a one of those things that you just push the button and it sort of like lifts you up. Not an elevator, but you know what I mean? It's like great the, view of Boston, though, if you go up in the monument over there. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, okay, so Mavs at Celtics tonight. Mark, as you alluded to, I guess you didn't allude to it. You just flat out said it. Gordon Hayward is not going to be playing in this game. He fractured his left hand the other night against the Spurs. That sucks to see because he was having a really good year. But uh, from the Mavs' standpoint, that means no Hayward, which means you slide Marcus Smart into the starting lineup, which means he's going to presumably go off. anyway. Yeah, yeah, presumably, which means he's going to go off for thirty tonight. But uh, he may not do that. But you know, he did go eight for twelve from three in two games against the Mavs last year. Which this is, is this being a thirty-one percent career three-point shooter, Marcus Smart? Of course he did. Yeah, you know, um, I was looking at some numbers for him. So last year was his best shooting season, uh, a career high forty-two percent from the floor last year and a career-best 36.4% from three. 36.4 is pretty good. Yeah, I, that'll work. I mean, that's that's above average. Yes, it is. Yeah, that, that'll work. Yeah. This year, uh, 37 from the floor, 34.5 from three, uh, averaging just over 10 points, three boards, four assists. I think it's your speculation that he goes into the starting lineup is pretty good because I kind of wonder if he would be the guy that they would put on Luka. Well, I wonder if they would put him on Porzingis. Hasn't he like? Wasn't that kind of a famous thing whenever KP was still with the Knicks that oh, wow. he guarded him and just really got? I mean, you know how smart plays. He just gets up literally sure. like under your skin. Uh, so I wonder if that's the case, or if they put because they they also start uh, Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Daniel Tice as their only real big man. So I wonder if the Mavs go big and force their hand, or if yeah. they just go really small and put KP at center. Well, Daniel Tice is a good defender. He so is. If that's if that's who ends up guarding. Porzingis, and that's uh, you know that's going to be tough for Porzingis as well. But yeah, Tice is a good defender, so um, it's a great matchup game tonight. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of neat aspects to it. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Brad Stevens. I mean, I, I say on one hand, I think I could see Marcus Smart going in to guard Luca, but then there's also the school of thought of does Brad Stevens say, okay, I don't want to totally disrupt what I'm doing with Smart coming off the bench, and I've had some success with it early this year. Uh, we keep him out of foul trouble. You know, he doesn't. He avoids picking up an early foul in the game on Luca, and so I've got him to close the game mm. rather than start the game. And he does something like, uh, you know, just kind of a weird uh, Grant kind of Williams a, in the starting lineup, yeah, or Javante Green or um, Shemi Ojale, who hasn't been playing a whole lot this year, but did he did kind of absorb his only big minute games were playing whenever Jalen Brown was out with three games with an illness recently, and he did you know play in the high teens and minutes in those games. Um, you know, the other thing to watch for, of course, is, is, is Ennis Cantor going to be back tonight for Boston. That does uh, change things a little bit from a big guy perspective. Um, you know, he's been out since the getting hurt in the opener, and they keep on listing him as questionable. And he has been, he's been questionable in their injury report for at least two games, mm. and he hasn't been playing. Uh, and if he doesn't, then you got, uh, you know, another Texas connection, A&M's Robert Williams, who had arguably his best game as a pro against San Antonio on Saturday night. He had 11 points, which is a career high, and six blocks, which was a career high as well. Stats machine. How about that? Stats machine. Of course, Boston also has uh, former future Mav Kemba Walker yeah. in their starting lineup, too. He's pretty good, so I've heard. I've heard that, too. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, obviously everyone hears you on Fox Sports Southwest calling the games, but basketball is a very fast sport. 
and you got Skin who won't shut up on the broadcast. <laughs> so you don't get a chance necessarily to fire off your takes on the TV broadcast. You also do post game on the ticket right. uh, after home games where you can kind of spread your wings a little bit. But now that we have you totally unfiltered, this is the this is the raw, mm-hmm. true Mark Followell. Yes, sir. Um, I guess overall thoughts just on the on the team, on the season so far. I mean, I don't want to go all the way back to like the home opener or anything, yeah. but just generally speaking, you kind of talked about first 10 games you were hoping for seven and three would be great six and four is pretty good too uh but just generally with where the team is at where the team is going right now what are some of the things that you're kind of oh wow what do you catch yourself thinking about whenever you think about this team what are are some of the things that are top of mind for you well um I'm glad that they've been in every game I think that's I mean I know that's kind of an obvious man point but that's you know that's an exciting aspect of it for me uh, they are in a position to, by and large part, capitalize on their early season um, strength of schedule or or lack thereof, uh, you know, in terms of at least, as we said earlier, having the second easiest 10-game schedule based on last year's opponent winning percentage. Um, you know, to me, that was just so important. Uh, the season has been over before it's began in a couple of recent years when you start 2-13 and 13 and 2-14. and 14. Uh, to their credit from last year, I mean, after a 2-7 and seven start, they did bounce back and got as high as four games over 500. They were 15-11. and 11. That was kind of their highest uh, point of the year relative to the 500 mark before things started to slide back. So I think you had to, if you had any aspirations of being a playoff team this year and competing to make the playoffs, which I think is, is obviously what your mindset has to be, um, you had to come out and, and start well in these first 10 games. And... Um, you know that the Knicks loss is going to stick in everybody's craw. Uh, that was that was certainly, uh, especially when they went and laid an egg at home last night against Cleveland. I mean, maybe the Knicks played their game of the year because they saw Porzingis Down on the other side. Thirty or, in the fourth quarter to Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, so much so that uh, management had to have a press conference after the game before David Fisdale did last night. So that's uh, insane. Yeah, that's in, that's that's insane that they were that bad at home, and that's a, just a really. A really disappointing loss to them on Friday night, and I think everybody associated with the Mavs knows that. I mean, it's not like there's you know players or coaches denying that uh, you know. Well, that's not that big of a deal. No, it was it was, it was a bad loss. Seems and, like there was like an intensity about them against Memphis. Yeah, that had I, been missing. I I do think that that um, you know if look if you're a believer in the space time continuum, which I am, and well, it exists. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And one one event leads you to the next thing. Um, you know, I know a lot of people said, well, the Mavs are so close to being, uh, you know, 4-0 whenever uh, they were 3-1 and after the win in Denver. And it's like, well, but but that Portland loss and the circumstances surrounding it, um, you know, uh, who knows how your what your mindset is if you're 3-0 and going into that game instead of a little bit ticked off and desperate and, uh, you know, trying to bounce back from a loss after, after that Portland game. And that, you know, influences how you play in Denver. So, anyway... Uh, the point of all that is, is I'm, I'm certainly disappointed about that game last Friday, but by and large part, yeah, I mean, I'm happy with how they started, and it's a whole lot better than it has been, uh, especially in the 2016-17 and 2017-18 seasons, and it's the kind of thing that puts them in a position to to at least have started the first uh, little over 10% of the year to, to be having meaningful conversation about what the season is capable of uh, turning into. Whenever you hear 
I guess, national or just general NBA power rankings people and all that stuff talk about the Mavs. It's almost kind of like they're like halfway in between talking about them as a legit team mm-hmm. and then talking about them like they're like Phoenix or Minnesota, like these fringe playoff teams. Or Phoenix obviously has not been even as good as fringe these last few years, but teams that are off to a good start that you don't necessarily suspect will be there at the end of the year. And the Mavs kind of like fall in sort of in the middle ground between mm-hmm. those two groups. Um I feel like that there's a lot of positive thought about the Mavs out there from the from the Zach Lowe's and Kevin Peltons and and you know guys who I really enjoy their writing and enjoy their takes and their perspective on on the NBA. I mean, I, I feel like that the majority of people view the Mavs as a likely playoff team, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I feel like that 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 was a prediction that they were making at the beginning or very early in the beginning after the first couple of times. Especially after you beat Denver. Especially after you beat Denver. I think I think that kind of legitimized them in a way that losing that game but beating the Knicks, if your record was the same, sure wouldn't do, you know? Sure. Like you beat Denver, you lose to the Knicks, you're like, all right, well, they just had an off night. It's not that they got lucky against Denver, right? Yeah. But what about them so far? What about the Mavericks so far? Do you think is kind of legit, like the driving force behind and, and Luke is the obvious answer, but but more, I guess, deeper, deeper than that, more deeper uh, yeah. than that. Uh, what about them do you think is kind of catching the eyeballs of the the league thinkers and not just you and me? Um, I think people see a team that has depth. I think people see a team that when that that they're when they're at their best um, can be highly effective and and very efficient on offense. I mean, I, I would say that probably is what league thinkers i mean to me that's what i see i mean and we even said it on um our post game on friday night uh when when i called in on the ticket uh after the knicks game and it's like you know what we're this is what we're going to say about the maps this year when they win games that's my phone that's making that noise sorry that's making vibrating noise we got the same uh same vibration pulse um what what people will say about the maps this year and I'll say it, and I think a lot of us will say it, whenever they win games like the Denver game or, for that matter, like the Memphis game the other night, eight guys in double digits, um, three different guys had season highs in that game, Curry 16, Jackson 17, Hardaway 20. I think people will say, God, man, this depth that this team has is so great. It's, it's awesome that they're so deep, and that's going to be a real factor in winning games. And I don't disagree with that at all. I think when you don't win games, and especially the way the game against New York kind of played itself out, people will say that they lack a consistent third option, that they have depth, but the depth doesn't manifest itself in the way of a consistent third scoring option. It's completely reliant on Luka and Porzingis. And if the other team is effective, playing well on offense, scoring at a good clip, scoring at an efficient clip, then your lack of a consistent third score then becomes a problem. If, if if it's a night when no one rises up to be that guy and no one steps up into that void. So those are, you know, to me, it's like that's kind of the way I felt it would be at the beginning of the year. It's in some ways been as pronounced or even maybe even more pronounced than I thought it would be that the, on the winning nights that the depth would shine and on the losing nights – you would look at and say, man, if there was just somebody that was a third guy that was consistently making more shots and providing more offensive firepower, then this team would have had a had a better chance to win the game. So, so I think that you know, I I, I don't necessarily, I'm not 100 percent sure that that's what 
the big picture people outside of Dallas are seeing. But to me, it's like that's kind of the thing that stands out. If you want me to go deeper than just, uh, you know, Luka averaging 28 points, almost 11 rebounds, and nine assists a game. I that's mean, too easy yeah. of an answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the thing about it is, is what I, what I would say about Luka without going into just straight up those, you know, uh, extraordinary averages that he's posting is the the fact that he is playing like such a modern NBA wing and that is is that he's creating offense and the shot selection that he has for himself is what the the trend in the game is going to um, especially from a ball dominant wing and that is that uh, I'm gonna either take threes or I'm gonna get it into the paint and a lot of people would say you need to get it into the restricted area, not just the paint. But but I, I looked at this last night, and I think this is, you know, this is what I want to hit you with on Luca. that's going to be a little bit more just than, than okay. hey, it's really cool. He's averaging 28, 11, and 9. All right. Um, his shots this year, 89 field goal attempts in the paint, okay? Uh, and that's about, a, that's about a 55 to 45% split on um, – or – yeah, about a 55 to 45% split. 55% of those shots are in the restricted area. 45% of those shots are uh, non-restricted area paint shots. So 89 field goal attempts in the paint. 78 three-point attempts, of which virtually all of them, by the way, are above the break. Very few corner threes. Mm -hmm. And so that leaves between the paint and the three-point line, the dreaded mid-range, eight. Eight? Eight mid-range shots is all he's oh taken this year. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you got to think that probably, like, at least two or three of them have been floaters, right? Like little 16-foot yep. runners. Yep. Jeez. Yeah, and you wonder how many of them were, you know, he got cut off on a drive just before he got there or, you know, were, were they situations where he ended up with the ball in his hands at the end of the shot clock and had to take, you know, a 19-footer because he didn't have any other choice or, or whatever. Man, but, that's extreme. That's like postmodern. Yeah. <laughs> it's Well, I mean, Harden's the same way. Yeah. I mean, Harden's, Harden's uh, I mean, I think Harden has taken four mid-range shots out of all of his attempts wow. this year. I mean, it's all threes are in the paint. And the cool thing about it is this, is that Luka is shooting 63% in the paint, which is an extraordinarily good number. Mm. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to write all this down for our podcast, but – Giannis shoots 68, 69% of the paint this year. Players like LeBron and Anthony Davis are high 57, 58, 59, that kind of range. Uh, even Andre Drummond, um, you know, is shooting around 61 or 62% or 63, somewhere or you now in that same number as Luka is in the paint. And it's just, you know, his number, um, I know there might be some people listening say 63% in the paint is like really, really good. It's like, yeah, that, that's one of the best. That's one of the best numbers in the league because the restricted area average in the league is to shoot about 64, 65%. And it's been consistently that way for a long period of time. And so in the paint, not just the restricted area, but then the paint in general, Luke is shooting 63%, which is a really, really good number, uh, you know, amongst the best in the league, especially if you look at guys who take a high volume of shot attempts in the paint. So that's that to me is what's exciting about what Luke is doing this year is getting in there getting a lot of shots, effective on those shots, and then, you know, look, just the, the gaudy season statistics that, that he and Giannis are the two only two guys in the league, or at least as of 
Saturday, and I doubt it's changed, but I suppose it's possible. But as of Saturday, they're the only two guys in the league who are in the top 20 in both in, in points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game in all three of those categories. That's so. one of the things that's like kind of like a blessing and a curse, right, that Luka is so good at breaking down the defense and getting into the paint and scoring because we saw it against the Knicks, especially once KP fouled out. It was basically as soon as Luka put the ball on the floor, all five guys collapsed yeah. in the paint, and they defended him like Giannis. And that's like the ultimate respect, right? Like yeah. you get the LeBron, the Giannis treatment where it's you versus five. <laughs> but that means that not only does he have to make a really hard pass, yeah. but that guy has got that he passes to has to make the shot. Yeah, and for sure. They were not able to do it, obviously. That's what makes KP so valuable is that he commands attention. You can't just leave him open. Yeah, for sure. But um yeah, that was kind of like even though it ended up kind of costing them the game, it was pretty cool to see the Knicks basically say, like, yeah, we're going to throw everything, literally everything we have at you. Yeah. The entire kitchen sink. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, I know some people have uh, have have said, complained to me about, you know, I, that they wish that Porzingis was getting a few more post-up opportunities and things like that. And I think that's, to your point, that's probably something that uh, keeps that from happening is that, you know, there's a lot of effectiveness for the Mavs with a, with a spread out floor and for room for Luka to work. And a person occupying space down in the paint uh, occupies some of the space that Luka is going to be going into and also has a defender there that's going to occupy some of the space and be a threat of that area that Luka is going to probe into. So I think that's that's something they'll, they'll you know, I think you want to get Porzingis post-up opportunities, so that's something they'll have to kind of, you know, maybe sort out and try to phase in a little bit more as the season unfolds. But you're right. I mean, I mean that's not the only time, by the way, that that happened. I mean, it happened on one of those late possessions against Orlando where mm-hmm. it was he drove and it's like everybody went in there, and I think that's why they had the steal. That, you know, remember at the end of the Orlando game, there were two straight offensive foul possessions for Orlando. And I think the second one was after another one of those times when Luka drove inside, and it's just like five guys are going to clog the paint at that point, and – um, yeah, Dwight's standing under Dwight. the rim by himself. Yeah, he's looking for Dwight on a cut to the basket, but but he can't get it to him because everybody just zeroes in, their eyes zero in on Luka getting inside, and they get a steal, but you know they don't take a timeout, and Aaron Gordon commits another offensive foul at the other end, so it worked out. But um, God yeah, bless Tim Hardaway. <laughs> and Finney Smith before that, for that matter, for, yeah. for drawing an offensive foul too. Um, but it's 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 a pleasure to watch him, man. It's it's really cool, and, and um, you know, it's – it's only going to get better. I think that, to me, uh, crunch time offense specifically is the number one thing that, as the season goes on, is just naturally like going to get better. Yes, yeah. that's, that's really, really kind of been a struggle for them this year. Uh, so much so that I'm I'm trying to pull it up on NBA Stats, which is the best website in the world, except for Basketball Reference. Um, They're both great. Yeah. Well, I guess you know what. NBA stats, well, no, 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 basketball reference is still the king of my heart, but uh, the Mavs this year in 30 clutch minutes, so they've had six games that have qualified as clutch games, which is the scores within five points inside the final five minutes yep. in the, only the ones quarter overtime. The ones that would not have would be Memphis, Cleveland, and Washington. Yeah. Yep, those are the only ones. Yeah, and Washington be. almost was. Yeah, almost, was almost got there. Yeah. yeah, so the Mavs have played 30 clutch minutes, which is the fourth most in the NBA. In those 30 minutes, small sample size, but 30 minutes is almost a game now. So, it's like, the sample sizes are starting to stack up a little bit. They're only scoring 80 points per 100 possessions, which yeah. ties for 27th in the league. That's down there with teams like Cleveland, Sacramento, Pelicans, Orlando, like, losing teams. And that's not a very good number, but I will say Luka is in his second season. KP's in his first season with Luka. 
And the first few games of the year, like against Portland, for example, there was no Dwight, who's kind of this offensive engine, right? Who his rolling, I guess, theoretically at least, opens things up for other guys. And uh, it's a lot of players that are sort of unfamiliar with one another. And so I'm, I'm thinking that that's going to get better. Certainly hoping that will well, get better. I mean, you've got to, you got to kind of feel each other out, I guess, in the clutch because you're not really running plays. I don't necessarily think that you want to just turn it into Luca v five like they did against New York, but they didn't really have any other options in that game. I think so. Uh, as the year goes on, I think that's going to be something that will either have to get better and naturally will, or won't, and it's going to end up sucking. Yeah. Well, you uh, you do bring up you know a good point, and it has to work out the way you know. I mean, your your argument is sound that that theoretically should be something that should get better, but it actually has to happen. In, yeah. in the real world so we'll see if it does but but you know you know how much of a a close game guy and watching that very and observing that you know thing very closely that I do and that is you know I, I said last year maybe we even touched on this in one of the early season podcast and and of course you know things things didn't work out and 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 some of it was you had a chance to make a great trade so you moved away from from you know having a lineup that would have any sort of hope of competing for a playoff spot but I said last year I thought that you know the Mavs needed to make a significant improvement in their performance in close game situations uh two years ago the team was 12 and 38 in clutch games they made it to 20 and 26 was their record last year They've improved to three and three, which is better, but but it would be nicer if you know you had you had even done a little bit better, uh, and maybe one or one of those four and two would sound a whole lot better than three and three at this point. Mm. Um, you know, the one thing to me that stands out so far this year in the in the clutch games is that last year immediately Lucas shot making was just extraordinary in late game situations. Um, you know, for the year I think he shot around. 50% on clutch shot opportunities. Maybe it tailed off and maybe it ended up being below that for the entire season. Uh, but for, you know, the first two-thirds of the year, I mean, that number was up around like 55% what he was shooting in clutch situations. Uh, he's only at 40% this year. Um, you know, last year, Luca led the league in shots made to give the team the lead or tie the game in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter overtime. He went 14 for 24. And those 14 made field goals under those parameters were the best in the league, the most in the league. Um, you know, and I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think he's made one of those yet this year. Hasn't had a lot of those to take, but, uh, you know, hasn't made one yet this season. Or if he has, I've forgotten about it. Um, so, you know, that to me is, is you know, that, that Luca hasn't, and for all of the great things he's done, he hasn't started off the year like with just, uh, you know, these like phenomenal clutch numbers. Dude, you are calling year. him out right now. Well, no, I'm hardly doing that. But, <laughs> but um you know that's one thing that hasn't happened in some of these late games this year is we haven't seen like uh, just the the some of the insane things that he did late games last season. Um, so I hope that's uh, you know for he and for the rest of the team for that matter uh, to make late game offense better. That's that's you know part of the equation. Do you remember? And I'm, it's inevitable, right? Early portion of Dirk's career, that was kind of you know I was a, I was a child. My most, I guess the the time that I really kind of have like vivid Mavs memories, uh, specific Mavs memories, like Dirk related starts like Oh three, Oh four, Oh five, whenever mm -hmm. he was already kind of like that dude, you yeah. know, but for the first four or five years, do you remember, uh, especially once he started showing signs of, of being pretty special, was he good late in games like 2000, 2001, 02, or was it mostly like Finley that was still getting a lot of those crunch shots or like when, when did 
when did he start becoming like the clutch guy? When when did I guess when did he start hmm. having go to moves, make it look easy, all that Man, stuff? Man, that's a good question. Gosh, the years have gotten too far away. Yeah. Um I, I that's so sad. Yeah, it is. It is. Um it was more Finley, I still think, in the in the two thousand one two time frame. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was I think there was I don't know if it's necessarily more Finley, but it was probably kind of an equal responsibility thing between all three of those guys. Mm. You know, I mean, Nash would take some, you know, some big late game shots as well. It wasn't Nick like Van he, did too. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And and so, you know, Dirk wasn't the clutch machine that he came became later in his career. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of you know something I do remember as a talking point then was. Um, you know, needing the opportunities, and that's how you know that was what was going to be the best for the long range future of the team was you know more, more opportunities he had in late game situations to experience uh, success and failure and what's going to work and what's not going to work and all that sort of thing. Uh, I do remember that was kind of a talking point back then, but, but, but yeah, I mean in the two thousand and two thousand one and two thousand two time frame, I still think you saw a lot of Finley getting you know shots in those situations, and it still was. Certainly, by it certainly wasn't Dirk dominant, or you know Dirk getting most of the attempts at that point, and that might have been, um, you know maybe two thousand four, two thousand five, you know before you kind of got to that place. Mm-hmm. Whenever know? it was, it was yep. basically Dirk time. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that I guess, like you said, there's kind of you, you gotta, could probably you I mean, go M- through it. NBA does clutch stuff back to. I mean, I'm not suggesting doing it now to distract you from what we're doing. Okay. But it might be a good research project. I mean, NBA has that stuff all the way back to the 96-97 season. They do. You know, yeah. I did not know that they had that. Yeah. By the way, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that would be, uh, I think that would be a fun research project for that you. That would absolutely be yeah. a fun research project. Or for some other, uh, you know, some other really go-getting person out yeah. there listening to Well, that. I will say we got two off days coming up in New York, yeah. and I don't have anything better to do. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably I find that out that you spent your time in New York <laughs> looking at Dirk's clutch stats from 18 years ago, I'm going to be really pissed off dude yeah that's gonna upset me that's so, my weekend do not <laughs> yeah uh, if you go to new york and sit in your hotel room and do that then we're gonna have a problem <laughs> okay I'll, I'll try not to i'll get out to. um that's what i'm telling you one go, of the go enjoy the one of the great cities of america i i, I will try oh, oh, i'm sitting in one of the greatest cities yeah. in america talking to you and yeah, i'm man. enjoying it just fine all right <laughs> um one of the things that's really kind of i don't know stood out to me i guess uh, aside from clutch offense, is pace. So the Mavs for the last few years have been like a bottom five team in pace. And there's no correlation between playing fast and winning or playing slow and losing or whatever. Like teams all across the spectrum perform well or poorly. Yeah. yeah uh, you depending play on to your strengths. Yeah. Sure. Um, but I was, I don't know, expecting, hoping, whatever, that they'd play a little faster this year. And so far, they really kind of haven't. Think yeah, it, it depends on where you're around twentieth, right? Yeah, yeah, twentieth, I twentieth. Mean, yeah, it depends on where you're where you're pulling from, I guess, because there are some sites that use approximation. There's some sites that use specific. Uh, on NBA.com, the Mavs are ranked. Let's see, nineteenth in pace, and that's yeah. up because against Memphis, that was their second fastest pace game of the year, and now. At this point, there's only nine games to pull from, and so, of course, it's going to be pretty arbitrary. But in games where they've played at least 104 possessions per 48 minutes, they're 3-1. and one. In all other games, they're 3-2. and two. And that is very arbitrary. But I think mm. there is something to the idea. Now, they've won their three slowest-paced games, so I'm also an idiot for even saying this at this point. But I think there is something to the idea that 
when they play faster, they're good. They, they, instead of slowing down. And now, obviously, slowing down is tied to allowing baskets. If you get stops, if you force turnovers, you can play faster, right? Because you can push the ball. Yeah, and and that's one thing that the Mavs aren't doing this year is forcing turnovers. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is, I mean they're thirty. Ordinarily, the they're yeah thirtieth in the league in steals going into going into Saturday's game. Anyway. Yeah, and I mean they've been whenever they were making the playoffs, like in the the Monte years, they were like top five in turnovers. Cause yeah, Monte and Devin Harris were drawing charges and steals and all that stuff. But uh, this year, I mean their their points per possession, the Mavs often made field goal. And opponents made field goals, number two in the NBA. So they're really, really good at running plays and taking the ball out and bringing it up the floor and stuff. But I just wonder, I mean, you've got to – I guess you have to achieve the flow, right? That's something that you're building toward mm-hmm. is is yeah. reaching that nirvana level of offense mm-hmm. that Rick Carlisle always talks about where you don't have to call plays at all. But in order to get there, I guess it, it might – it might look sort of junky at times, right? You might have games like Orlando and, and New York, but uh, I'm hoping eventually that they'll be able to reach a, a phase where it's just constant, just we're running and running and running. And not, not playing like the Kings where you're just like taking it to its logical extreme, mm-hmm. but just playing faster, top right. half in pace, maybe even top 10 in pace. Because you have, you have the depth, you have the personnel for it, I think. And you have younger legs now. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, the youngest the team has been in quite some time. So I would like to see that. I would be you. You don't have to convince me that uh, you know the team playing in flow offense and faster is that that that's that there is logic to it, and then that would be a good thing. Um, and maybe we saw, you know, maybe reaction to how the Orlando and New York games went. Uh, you know, one being barely hanging on for a win, and one you know being certainly a, a very very disappointing loss. Maybe a reaction to it was that uh, they were they were fine to get into a higher pace game, which Memphis is playing like nowadays. And, I mean, I thought that, um, you know, their offense looked really good the other night against Memphis. I mean, they scored 138 points, so obviously it did. I mean, they shot a high percentage. They ran. They were effective running. They got a lot of, uh, you know, I thought good early shot clock looks mm. uh, before they were playing against a set defense. So, yeah. I mean, look, there's there's tons of value in playing up-tempo uh, because you don't – because you, you avoid playing against a set defense and – and hopefully you get a better quality of shot because of it. And and you're right. This team's got the depth to do it, and it's got the younger legs to do it. Mm. Yeah, and, and I, I will say, even though there's no correlation between playing faster and winning, there is overwhelming evidence, at least internally, to show that when the Mavs at least get the ball across half court quickly, they score, mm-hmm. right? It's just don't walk the ball up the floor. Even off, gotcha. a, even off a made basket, take it out of bounds right away and, and just get it across the court. It's pace 21, right? If they get the ball across midcourt in three seconds or less, they score like a quarter of a point possession wow. more. Yeah, I mean, wow. it, it's like it's undeniable, and that's been the case for years. And so the challenge for Luca is, hey, you're playing 36 minutes, but I need you to run it up the floor every single time. Well, yeah, that is, and that is going to be a challenge. It's and that's, tough. That's, and, and, you know, he's leading the league in touches right now. I yep. mean, he's averaging 102 touches a game. Um, since they started the player tracking data, the highest, and, and I, I think this number will go down, but the highest number of touches a player has ever averaged in a season is Kimball Walker in one of his early years in Charlotte. Again, this, this, this stuff only goes back to 2013-14, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Kimba averaged almost 99 touches in one year so in Charlotte. So smashing the record. Yeah, but, I mean, we're 10% of the way of the season, man. No, no, he's breaking the record. <laughs> <laughs> that record's going down. I don't know about that. We'll see. But, but I, I think... I think uh, I hope it doesn't go down because I think that that means that's going to make life harder on him. I mean, to your point, if we need you to run the ball up the floor 
And our offense is going to be more efficient if we're getting into our set in the front court and we're you know getting into our actions at 21 on the shot clock or even 19 or 20. You know, if, if, if you're going to get the ball up the floor that quickly, then I think that uh, you know there are other ball maker or playmakers and ball handlers on this team. And so you know one of the reasons I like the signing of Delon Wright is I thought that that would take some of the workload off Luca. Uh, you know, I do think this team needs secondary playmakers um, and people to be able to take some of the workload off of him because it's a long season. I mean, that's not going to manifest itself right now, but, but we all, you know, understand there's a, a whole lot more season left to play than has been played. And so I would like to, I would, to your point, if you're going to talk about playing faster, then I think the way that that's going to work the best is that somebody else is, is, you know, other people are going to have to get involved in terms of sharing the workload of ball handling and playmaking responsibilities, even if it's just bringing a ball up the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because look, if you're an opponent and, and you know, you, you scout the Mavs and see, it's like, okay, well, if I just pick up a little bit before you get to half court, then and then I make life tougher on Luka and I make life tougher on the Mavs offense. So, um, you know, I think to, to try to counter that then, you know, and, and to, to, to try to operate as efficiently as you're saying, then yeah, somebody else is going to kind of, you know, need to, to share that workload more moving forward. Yeah. Those are specifically Frank Nilakina pressed Luka the entire game almost mm-hmm. against the Knicks. And I thought he was dynamite the other night. Yeah. He was yeah. good. Now he made four threes. Yeah. Four threes. The guy's twenty nine percent lifetime shooter. Hits four threes. Of course. Well, maybe because he's uh, getting a chance to start and play. Maybe he's finally going to start. You know, coming into his own a little bit. And he was wide open every single time. Yeah, that does help. Yeah, that helps a lot. Um, one last thing. Oh, so to, to your point about another guy getting uh, kind of being able to make plays and stuff. Um, if there was anything to take away from that Memphis game, I think not only was it good to see Jalen Brunson make some shots, but. Uh, Seth Curry in the starting lineup doing a lot more of coming off screens for shots. And, of course, yep. he made a lot of them, and so it's going to look brilliant, of course. Uh, shot, he, shot making is the deodorant of basketball. And yeah. 100%. For 100%. Sure. He yeah. made three threes in a row or something, and it's like, Rick, you idiot, you should have started him all year. Well, of course, he, he made them. That's, that's why. But um, I think the next kind of – the next step that I want to see now that KP's in the lineup and, you know, no back-to-back or anything is – Curry running off a KP screen mm-hmm. because that's going to just be all sorts of chaos. You got Luca on one side, KP setting a screen for Curry on the other. Curry catches it. Is he double teamed? Is there a switch? Whatever. Instead of KP setting the screen on Luca's guy, where you're getting like sized defenders guarding those guys, so you mm-hmm. can't really take advantage of a mismatch either way. You really can if you got Seth and KP. So I think that's one thing that will uh, maybe uh, maybe we'll see pop up a little more. Hopefully. I don't know how you felt about this, um, you know, and and I brought this up a little bit in my radio show the other night, but but about Seth starting and three years ago when he started basically most of the second half of the season of the 2016-17 team, you know, he went into the starting lineup in the Mexico City game and, mm. and basically was a fixture in the starting lineup from that point forward. His 42 starts that year were averaging almost 15 points at 48% from the floor. I think maybe even the field goal percentage was better than that, and like 43 or 44 on threes as and a And the starter. team won, too. Yeah, the team won. So the team is clearly different, and so with this group of players, can he replicate anything close to what he did with that group of players and it, and it relate to team success? Who knows? But I do think when you look at this whole idea of a consistent third-scoring guy, um, you know, we do know from his past, at least with this particular team and so in this system, um, 
you know, obviously other different players, uh, that, that he was, was able to produce numbers that would – I mean, when I say a consistent third guy too, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of scoring, like 15, you know, 15 a game, something like 14, 15 points a game. Mm. Uh, I'm not asking for a third 20-point score. I'm just asking for somebody who's a guy who's going to hover in that, in that mid-teens range somewhere around in there. So I think that's maybe something to watch for. Uh, whomever it is, uh, but but he seems like certainly a candidate that's worthy of discussion for for stepping in and being that guy. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's something that I guess he'll have to. I think luckily he gained some experience in Portland playing off the ball a lot. Yeah. Like whenever he was in Dallas that one year, it was him and Yogi and Harrison Barnes, and so Seth had the ball a ton mm-hmm. throughout the course of games, and he was able to create his own shot. Well, playing in Portland with Terry Stotts next to Lillard and McCollum and those guys, you're not really you're not handling the ball a lot. I mean, right. you're running off screens and doing all that stuff, finding ways to get open. And I think he's really, really good at doing that. He's good at shooting off the catch, shooting off curls and cuts and stuff. So uh, I, I think his game just blends really well with Lucas and KP's. But, again, it's a process, man. They all have to sort of feel each other out, especially – You your J.J. Redick, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what he was against Memphis, and mm-hmm. it worked great. And he did it one time, so let's do it 80 more times. But uh, <laughs> It's so simple. It's something that, especially if you're not running plays, you got to get used to, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to learn it. KP's got to learn what Seth likes. Seth got to learn what Luca likes. Luca's got to learn what KP likes. I mean, it's all – I don't know. It's kind of cool to – sort of start over again and do this whole it's like time is like a flat circle right we saw it with wow. Dirk and now we're seeing it with Luka and KP it's just kind of like I don't know they're gonna lose to the Knicks and then they're gonna beat the Nuggets they might even win tonight and then if they, guess what they might lose on Thursday you know it's there's gonna be like hiccups and yeah. huge triumphs and there's gonna just be like frustrating losses I don't know it's all it's just really exciting to me all of the all of the surprises all of the letdowns, it's just really fun. I'm having a lot of fun this season. Well, well uh, look, and I'm, I'm certainly glad to hear you say that, and I am too, uh, because, you know, it's just, it's gotten off to so much, not to go back to this, but it's gotten off to so much of a better start. And there's just no worse feeling than the season is over before it begins, mm-hmm. when you start really poorly. And and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be excited about, and I really admire your approach to it. And I, I do think there's a lot to be said for uh, trying to not make big sweeping judgments and proclamations after each and every game each and every game is not a referendum you know there you're not as good or bad as your last game in the mm. nba when you play 82 of them um i know. now that said i am glad that we're talking after memphis and of not after new york of course yeah it makes <laughs> it makes the show makes makes you and i makes it easier for you and me to do that yeah but but i do admire the fact that that uh i, I like your approach and I, i've always tried to do this it's not 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 saying it's easy but to understand that the season is full of twists and turns and that you're, you're going to have great games, you're going to have bad games, and, um, you know, that, that getting to – I mean, it's like it's, – it's, I think being around, um, being around the team for 21 years now, you just when – you, when you live within the bubble of it, you understand how important it is to keep your emotions in check and not like be too wildly like, you know, oh, this team is going to be a Western Conference Finals team after uh, they win two or three games and beat Denver. Uh, man, this, this team could challenge for that level or this team's not going to make the playoffs because they lose to New York. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for enjoying it and understanding that it is a process and that, you know, it's it's cool to see how it grows and evolves over time and that, that if you're going to be in that moment, you do have to understand that, yeah, there's going to be some trips and some stumbles along the way, but there's going to be a lot of really good things too. So that would be my I, – I admire the way you approach it, that would, and I think that's great advice for anybody is to, to realize there's always going to be twists and turns and, and that, uh, you know, the, 
the the journey is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be obsessing about what the destination is going to be. That that the journey is supposed to be fun, and it can still be fun even though you're not going to win every game. Dude, the journey is the destination. Yeah, that's well, a famous. Now I I kind of yeah. I kind of learned that lesson from you actually. We were talking on the rooftop of a hotel in Milwaukee a couple oh, yeah. years ago, yeah. and you you told me that story about Bob Ortegal just saying, dude. Tough loss happens, but there's 82 of these. Like even the best teams lose 30 times. Yeah, you know, so you just can't get down. Or at least but 20. Also, the best yeah. teams. Win. Whenever Bob would walk on the bus and say nobody died. Yeah, yeah, a yeah loss. nobody yeah. died. Yeah. But <laughs> even the best teams only win 60 games. So it's like, all right, I mean, you can't, you can't win every game. And and when you do win a game, you can't get too lit unless it's like if they win tonight. You'll catch me on uh, whatever in Times Square at four in the morning. I'll just be <laughs> running around with, with no shirt on, but. Uh, Bars stay open late in New York, man. Yeah, you that's can, right. You can you can go out. When yeah, you get we're there, we're you gonna go to. ham. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, we're we're about to get on a bus to go to shoot around. We are. Uh, yeah. you and, I got to get a smoothie are, before shoot around. So. Ah, well, you yeah. and I are gonna get some shots up at the at the garden. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but before we get out of here, I guess uh, over the next week, two weeks, three months, whatever, kind of looking ahead, what are what are you what are you looking forward to? whether it be long-term or literally in the next, like, 10 uh, hours? Yeah, give me – let's stay in the short term. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how this this four-game homestand goes. Um, you know, it's I, tough I, games. I, yeah, and, and that's been a blemish on the Mavs' record so far, two and three at home. So you have a chance to go play Toronto, San Antonio, Golden State, Cleveland. Mm. You get a little bit of everything on that, you know, rivalry game and uh, the former champs. Uh, the defending champs uh, and the former champs in terms of, of, you know, recent former champs in terms of Golden State. and uh, you Eric, know. KD, Pascal yeah. coming in here. Yeah, so you get, you get you know, that four-game homestand to me is something I'm looking forward to because I want to see, you know, they need to get this home thing figured out and be better and be more consistent. And, you know, two and three isn't the end of the world by any stretch. Um, but when it's happened at the beginning, then, you know, that's that gives you reason for concern. So if it happened in the middle of the year, it would be a little bit different, but, but, you know, that's, that's, you know, something I'm probably thinking about a lot. Um, you know, I thought it was so funny when somebody asked Rick the other night about looking ahead to some game and I don't remember what it was, but it was like two or three games ahead of what that game was that night. And he was like, well, I'm not going to get into that because that's karmically flawed thinking. So, (laughs) um, you know, I guess I don't want to be karmically flawed and look way down the road too much. But I do, I, I really do mean that, that, that that's kind of what I got circled. And and then, you know, the, the other thing is that that will get them to 15 games in, you know, uh, almost 20%. Sample size will be bigger. Conclusions will be a little bit more easy to start to draw and ascertain. And then right after that homestand, then they're going to hit a stretch, dude, of, of where the schedule is going to take a real uptick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that homestand gets done, and then it's going to be Houston on the road, Clippers at home, the surprising Phoenix Suns on the road, Lakers on the road, New Orleans on the Jeez. road. You know, and maybe about the time that Zion's going to be getting back. We'll yeah. see. Because that's yeah, going to be. Yeah, they play the Pelicans like two times basically in a week, right? And that's going to be in week seven of his rehab. Mm-hmm. And the prognosis was six to eight weeks. And that first game with New Orleans is six weeks and a day after his surgery. And so the one at home will be about, you know, almost seven weeks after his surgery. So that's, you know, that's going to be a, you know, the, the schedule certainly takes an uptick in, in terms of quality of opponent at that point. I kind of hope he plays those games. Even um, though, even though, I mean, obviously. I would like to see him at least play one. As, yeah, under the Mavs employ, it would be phenomenal if they won every game. But I want to see Zion, man. Yeah, I do see you know. I do too. It would be it would be cool if like the first game back was that home game. 
that yeah. uh, that game at American Airlines Center. Wouldn't yeah. it be cool not, if, not the game if Zion, yeah, I, I Zion played his first stuff. game at uh, December seventh at American Airlines Center, yeah. and that's that's in the range of when it could happen, man. So, yeah. well, so uh, that's a home and home back to back. As a matter of fact, that weekend they play Saturday afternoon against New Orleans and Sunday night against the Kings. So that'll be uh, circle your calendars. Mm. We'll see if uh, we'll see if Zion's ready to go. Well, of course, this being a, a Bedgear uh, sponsored podcast, I do have to say, don't sleep. On the Knicks, man. We learned that lesson last week. I don't want to learn it again this week. Yeah. Uh, before you start that big home stand at, at the AAC, that starts this Saturday, by the way, with the Raptors in town. Mm-hmm. That game is going to be awesome. I thought the Raptors were going to take a little step back, but they're just as freaking good, even yeah. without Kyle Lowry, who's out with, uh, what, a hand injury or a thumb injury or something? Yeah, thumb injury. Um, yeah. They just beat the Lakers and in Nick LA. Nurse finally won a coach's challenge. Dude, yeah. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> finally that's won a coach's challenge Historic, last night. Yeah. historic moment. <laughs> uh but don't take the Knicks for granted. You got to go. The game is going to be insane. But uh, yeah, you got to you got to try and find a way to win that game. But first, you got to take care of the Celtics. It's the NBA season is very long. But uh, yeah, don't sleep on the Knicks, man. Even yeah. though they're having press conferences in November, just don't. You're sleep. stressing. Your, you're stressing yourself out. Man. Yeah, man. Don't sleep on the Knicks. Uh, Mark, thank you for coming on, man. You I, got it. I yeah. really appreciate it. Let's go. Let's, get go, to, let's go to shoot around and get a smoothie and go get some shots up. Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, it is numbers on the boards. I'll be back at some point here, either this weekend or early next week with Skin. Uh, but Mark, definitely want to have you on again if possible. Sure, man. Anytime. Yeah, Just yeah another uh, another long road trip awaits. Where we'll have an off day and we'll do this again. Hope so. Hope so. Uh, coming to you from Boston. Be sure to tune in to uh, Map Celtics tonight on Fox Sports Southwest, and then we'll see y'all hopefully at the arena this upcoming weekend and then the week uh, to come. It's going to be good times, man. Things are looking up in Dallas. It's a very exciting time to be a Mavs fan, so hopefully we can keep this energy going. Um, for Mark and for Skin, Skin, are, are uh, you're, you're with us in spirit. I'm Bobby, and uh, it's the numbers on the boards. We'll see you soon.